Romans 9.6 says that not every person who has physically descended from the Israelites belongs to Israel. So that just kind of helps put everything into the fact that all Israel is not all every, every Israel, every Israelite. And that's like the proof text for that. You just got to have scripture that will interpret scripture and scholarship that, um, well, I don't know, James chapter 3, teachers of the word are like held and responsible for teaching God's word well. And don't want to do that wrongly or poorly, even though at times I do. (laughs) Um, And so does every other preacher um, that teaches God's word because we're fallible. Um, Oh, very good. Thank you so much. I'm used to having it up there. Um, let's give Simon a hand on the, on the tech today. Yes. Thank you. Help me out so much this morning. Hey, uh, Pastor Kathleen Law pastors a church somewhere at 10 a.m. and uh, United Church. And uh, uh, their sign says, tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. <laughs> you guys are about done with church signs, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> Two more, two more, because I think they're really, really good. <laughs> you know what hell is? Come here, our preacher. <laughs> so uh, so uh, I don't describe myself like that, but you know, sometimes it probably feels like that. It's like 25, 35 minutes, come on now. Don't you know it's time to eat? Uh, okay, so yeah, that's kind of funny. And then this one, look at this one. Got this from a family, precious family. It's hard to get in shape spiritually. If you only work out on Sunday. Amen. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. So powerful. So um, look at this. This is uh, the mentor meter. And um, so eventually we want people to put stickies up here that, that it's like, well, Charlie and Sam are meeting weekly. And uh, for eight weeks. So they're going to put a little sticky up here. And we're just going to count. It's one sign of church health. Just one sign. You go, well, what if there's only 10 people? Well, then there's 10 people more than we had before. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not like nobody's going to be like uh, pressured and, 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 and such coercion. No, let the Holy Spirit lead and see if somebody you're meeting with over Eight weeks or so, studying the Bible or the discipleship kind of resonates, and and this will grow. This will grow. And we'll just kind of see, and there'll be some instructions on this later. But we want to keep a a measuring stick. It's really important. And thank you, my my wife, my my better half, for making that so beautiful. So Jesus, again, we come to worldviews, and everybody's got a worldview. Whether they can articulate it or not doesn't matter. What we do comes back to represent our worldview. So help us to take some of these apart and um, make sense of them. Help us to walk in your spirit. And you bring conviction to our heart. You bring changes that we can make that we'll leave here better suited to take on a a hurting, lost and dying world. Um, Bless us, Jesus. And, uh, And help us get through this. And uh, do it with excitement because it's just day one and we've got two more days with this. Make it to be more than what we can make it in the flesh on our own, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. 
So as we go forward, I had somebody come in today and they said, I've got some people from work who've agreed to do the discipleship book with me. I'd like to uh, uh, buy a few copies so I can take it back to work and do discipleship with them. That came this morning unsolicited, not one of those things behind the scenes. Could, could you do this on Sunday? I really need something for the time. You know, no, 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 no. They came in. And uh, they actually asked Marlon first um, if they could get that and get that set up. So that's powerful. I mean, even if it's just that, we celebrate. It's God's goodness. We're here to worship Jesus. Here to worship him. So true. Okay. In order to make disciples, we must develop and practice a Christian worldview. Now, look at this. What's wrong with this statement? Why don't we like Christian worldview? That word Christian, why don't we like that? What's that? Well, it labels us, which when we're doing worldviews is okay, because we're going we're gonna to have to fall into one category, so it does do that. Could be looked at as somebody would say, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. No way. Okay, and then over time people say, well, gosh, that's, that's not a bad bad way to go with a worldview. Here's the thing, Christian versus biblical, Christian versus biblical is like night and day. There are a lot of churches that gather and they're Christian, but they violate the deity and lordship of Jesus Christ, saying that Jesus is God. And they go, no, he's not. Yes, he is. It's right here in Colossians 2.9. No, he's not. And, uh, and then they want to show me their Bible that they've changed the wording <laughs> to make it fit. So, so there's a lot of groups out there that call themselves, we're Christians. And you'll see that with one of the worldviews. It's like, no, that's, that's not Christian. That's, that, that's not the definition, theologically, of Christian. Okay. Biblical worldview. Biblical worldview is... Uh, by the way, does anybody need a page for notes that we didn't get one out? Oh, yeah. we, have one, we got one here. Oh, no. <laughs> James, your son, he doesn't have the notes. <laughs> okay. Um, what is a worldview? So look at these questions. The worldview answers big questions, really big questions. What personal life orienting core commitments are consistent with this worldview? It, it, it really answers what is a human being? What happens to a person at death? What is the meaning of human history? What's the nature of the world around us? Our answers to these big picture questions shape how we live everyday life. So a definition a definition is a worldview is a person's view of the world. It's a big picture for understanding reality and answering big questions. And we'll break that down and tell you some of these, some of these worldviews today, that categories that people fall into. Additionally, your worldview is like the top of a jigsaw puzzle box. Picture that. Sometimes there's great pictures that show you what's inside. It's a beautiful orchestration. This is like a Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> is that just beautiful or what? I want to live there in the hills. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So yeah, it's like the top of a box. Now let me give you somebody who, who piques my interest at times. It's um, Richard Dawkins. He's an evolutionary biologist, okay? And he's well-known, well-known in the UK and in um, United States. And so this would be his box top. This would be his box top, his puzzle box top. I, I'm, I'm guessing based on what I know about him, okay? You've seen that before on bumpers? Yeah. So, so what's interesting is he's about in the beginning there was a cell, and it multiplied. And, uh, and then we got to this place in, in evolution so many billion years ago that we, we get to this part where it becomes, okay, so the cells, it, did it form a fish? Uh, and then it had a change of kind. It would have to, to like a change, a mammal of some sort. And then another change of kind and a change of kind. I mean, that would have to happen. Change of kind, change of kind. And then there would be transition fossils, but there's no transition fossils. The, the, the science record doesn't have anything transition fossil-like that would bring it to our attention that that ever happened. So if you, got, if you know a person named Ray Comfort, Ray Comfort, he's... Um, He's an evangelist, but he did a video where he interviewed some professors from UCLA and USC. And he just went and asked them. I don't know how he got into their offices, but he just asked them, tell me about this change of kind. Just give me, I mean, these are UCLA, USC professors. Just give me a change of kind. Just give me one. Give me one. So I've got the video here um, that, that, that's, that's, that's just quite, that's quite interesting. Um, but, but. But, but first, I want to just show you a little bit of Richard Dawkins when he met with a Catholic cardinal. And, and they had a question about how this all started, where this all began. And, and they're in this open forum having this discussion. Look to see what the cardinal says and what Richard Dawkins says just as a way to not attack his view, secular humanism, but to bring some, some fresh reality to our eyes here. Professor Richard Dawkins, arguably the world's most high-profile atheist, believes that in the beginning there was nothing and that nothing created everything. As he attempts to justify this belief, admitting that it defies common sense, the learned professor calls nothing something. Watch the reaction of his audience. Of course it's counterintuitive that you can get something from nothing. Of course common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. It's got to be interesting in order to give rise to the universe at all. Something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. But exactly what, what's meant by, by nothing, but whatever it is, it's very, very simple. And <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> Well, I think it's a bit funny to be trying to define nothing. <laughs> Richard Dawkins, I'm sure he didn't say that. That seems ridiculous. The audience reaction confused the normally eloquent professor because he's not used to being the object of laughter. What he didn't realize 
was he was talking to people who were endowed by their creator with the virtue of common sense. This was just another case where the emperor has no clothes. Someone should tell this man who has deceived millions, you're talking foolishness. Wow. So, I mean, there's things like that that you just don't get to see every day. That uh, there's more evolutionary scientists coming over to creationism as creationist scientists as it is creationists leaving to go to the evolution uh, track. And that's, and that's quite interesting as well. Um, as we go on, our basic community reality, as we go through these worldviews and you see where you fit in and where your neighbor fits in, check this out. If we don't like what's happening in our community, the only real solution is to change the common world views causing people's choices and their outcomes. We can have an influence on that. Worldview choices are predictable and manageable. We do what we believe. We do what we believe. That's why we come to church. When we leave church, we're hopefully thinking about Jesus and how we can love people really well because that's what he did for us. Galatians 6, 7, we reap what we sow. What does that make you think? We reap what we sow. What's in the world today where it's like we reap what we sow? What? Karma. How many people, how many people do you see something good happens? That was karma. That was karma. Good day today. I'm going to play the lottery. That was karma. That was karma. Yeah, karma. Goes around, comes around. That's right. I did something good yesterday. That's why I'm blessed today. But here, let's look at karma, because that's right. K-A-R-M-A. Each individual is born with karma, they say. And it, and it derived from a, a Hindu practice and religion. That's where karma came in. Each individual is born with karma, they say. The residual from past lives that must be resolved in another life. Interesting. Karma, reincarnation, either in this life or the next. I, I mean, there's a lot of people that believe in karma. But what's, what's weird, we reap what we sow is not karma. I'll explain here in a moment. So there's the Hindu religion sign. Anybody know what this is? Buddha! Jesus Christo! That's Jesus. What's interesting, Galatians 6, 7, we reap what we sow. So this verse is in the context in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. If you read the first seven verses, this verse is in the context of restoring a fellow Christian from falling into a sin trap and living by the spirit, not the flesh. That's the context. So, so Jesus is karma. I want Jesus so I can have good things tomorrow. And in this next life, when I'm a butterfly. Or, you know, or, or somebody, you know, whoever, whatever. However you want to take that and interpret that. So this is about the managing of resources, not karma. If you're of the karma belief, and it's, it's the genuine Hindu religion kind, or in Buddhism, okay, if you're diagnosed with an illness, 
It's your fault. It's your fault. A hurricane destroys your house. You had it coming. You had it coming. In another life, you are a bad girl or you are a bad dude. Okay, this is karma coming back. That's the belief. How about with Jesus? Not so. Jesus, Romans 5, 8, he loved us so much while we were yet sinners and hated him and hated the world and not cared about anything. <laughs> it says he died for us. Romans 5, 8. Wow. It's, it's Jesus coming to live a perfect life. Hebrews 4, 15. So we would have a high priest that we could identify with. That's special. That's Jesus not giving us what's due to us. Reaping what we sow, bad, bad's coming. Bad, no, 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 no. Jesus is not karma. Okay, we just got to keep that in mind. So interestingly enough, hey, your worldview, your worldview determines a number of things. Your worldview, and and there's seven we're going to eventually get to, your worldview... Will, will determine whether or not you're pro-choice, if you're for abortion or against abortion. Your worldview will determine that. Your worldview will determine whether you watch porn or not. It will, 100%. Your worldview will determine if you go to church, believe in God, gay marriage, okay, helping the poor, your worldview determines, and so does other people's worldview determines that. So some of the things and stories you hear about people, Christians get so disgusted. Oh, that's just, that's just disgusting. Don't even talk about that. We do the same thing. We do the same thing in the flesh, and we're of the biblical worldview. Matter of fact, Christians can be so judgmental. Not, of course, anybody at New Hope. But, uh, but Christians can be so judgmental. Case, uh, case in point in the story. Some friends of Liz and myself at a, another church that we were pastoring. Okay, so the only other church we've ever pastored. Uh, anyway, we had this, this, these friends. And um, they were just born again, singing in the choir, doing all these great things. Well, they had a son that was gay. And uh, that was a problem to them because, because he had a partner. So they shunned him. It's like Christians shoot their own. They, they do is terrible. God doesn't do that. But we do it because we've got this idea of legalism in our mind that we just got to always be good and be good and be good and have this, this right and this right and our family has to be right. That we're not in a perfect world. Not until Jesus comes back. So anyway, their son, their son developed AIDS um, from this relationship. And then they were even more repulsed. And it's just like, you know, stick him away, keep him away, keep him away. Well, before he died, he started to just say, I'm, I'm going to come home and get some things. I'm going to come home and hang out. And, uh, and they're like, oh, oh, gosh, do you have to? Well, they started to see that when he came home, his flesh... You could just see his body, you know, failing. And they could see that this, 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 this kid, this son was made in the image and likeness of God. And so dad realized the time was short. And dad said, you know what? I'm just going to love on our son. 
The woman just stayed. The woman that stayed, nice woman. She stayed in the bedroom, not coming out. The dad came in and said, hey, get out there and love on our son. And she had a wake-up call. She had an epiphany. And, and, and they both loved their son. Uh, watched him die. Um, believed that he was in Jesus completely because he had made this profession so many years ago in, in Bible study or VBS because that's the way the church kind of ran. And um, they, they tell that story. Um, but there's a lot of us that if, if our children or grandchildren choose that, we don't know what we're going to do. We're first, first, we're going to break up with our, with our son or our grandson we're gonna, or our daughter or granddaughter. No, no, that's, that's our worldview says, love them where they're at, pray for them, encourage them, and don't have any other thing that will get in the way. And some of you with younger children, okay, uh, you don't know. You don't know what they're thinking, but be ready. Be ready with that story because if you miss those months and years that you could have loved them, back to Jesus, you've got, you've got guilt and regrets. You don't want that. Anyway, okay, so let's, uh, yeah, so uh, LGBTQ, don't know the other letters. Um, right there is, uh, it's big that um, if you support that, based on your worldview, People that, that support LGBTQ, and they're, just, they're just, just so ready to say, yes, 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 this is okay, this is okay, this is okay. Um, love them. And, and, and don't push your relationship with Jesus on them. Love them until they ask you why. What gives? That's the only difference. The only way change will happen. And it's, it's, it's awkward, but that's, that's true. Hey, this is a slide I got from Dr. George Barna. Not personally. He wouldn't know me from a million people. But I was in one of his workshops, and so uh, he sent me the slides, and so I took one or two uh, for this uh, production today, or production, for this message. <laughs> uh, your worldview. Look at the different worldviews. Take a second and just kind of look through them. We're going to cover those. We're going to cover those. And so these are probably the predominant seven, the predominant seven. And a lot of choices out there. A lot of people coming from a lot of different places. Let's start here. Biblical worldview. You have it in your notes, a space to put biblical worldview. And as much of the notes as you want to put, that would be great. Somebody look up John 17, 17 quickly. Somebody look it up when we get there. A biblical worldview or a Christian worldview is a worldview based on God's unchanging word. Since God is the creator of everything in heaven and earth, he is the standard for truth. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and unchanging. The Bible contains the words of God, and God is truth. Therefore, we can trust what it says, John 17, 17. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17 in this passage. Who has this verse? They can read it with, with full authority, really loud. Nice, go for it. Yeah, Saint Jesus talking to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, Father, is truth. 
This is good. A biblical worldview changes the way. Thank you, by the way. That was outstanding. Uh, changes the way we respond to major events in the world. Look at this. If we don't use the Bible to answer all questions that come up and abide by it, we're, we're also another worldview. So it's like, yep, Sunday, yep, learned about Jesus. He loves everyone. It's like that. Let's party! Woo! Yeah. So if we're markedly different when we leave, okay, we probably have two worldviews. And we'll talk about that next week because many of us have two worldviews, or some of us have two or three worldviews. And we'll talk about that. That's a huge growing trend. So we just got to kind of evaluate that. And then remember, there's a quiz at the end of the series that you can take in the privacy of your home to say, oh, yeah, you're a 78% biblical worldview. You're 22% postmodern worldview. Like, I don't even know what postmodern is. You will next week. You will next week. So stay tuned. Okay, uh, so that's number one. Number two, secular humanism, often called humanism, is a philosophy or life stance that embraces human reason. Secular ethics, philosophical naturalism, while specifically rejecting religious dogma, supernaturalism, and superstition as the basis of morality and decision-making. Secular humanism posits that human beings are capable of being ethical and moral without religion or belief in a deity. So that's interesting. Science, I go by the science. Show me the science. We'll live by the science. We'll buy things according to the science. Everything is research-based. Okay, everything. And you know what? The society determines the socialization and the morality for the culture. No absolute truth. There's no God that's directing this. That's why atheism would fall into this category. But not all atheists are secular humanists. It could be an atheist that's postmodern. Okay, but uh, anyway, we'll go on. So, so here's where that second part of humanism, secular humanism, comes in. Remember that evolution I started with at the beginning where I said that there's no change of kind transition fossils and these professors were interviewed? We'll watch more of the interview here and just kind of take a, take a look and see. Okay, secular humanism. Okay, science-based. I don't know that it's holding a lot of water. And so take a look here. You may have to start it for us here, please. You're an atheist? I am definitely an atheist, yes. Now why are you an atheist? Why am I an atheist? Because there is no God. Atheism assumes that you can disprove the existence of a God. But I'm an atheist. What Darwin showed in his work on evolution and natural selection is that we don't need to invoke any supernatural force or power to account for the development of life through time on Earth. The ongoing processes that, that are observable in today's world. The canine kind, the coyote, and the domestic dog, and there's the feline kind, which is the cat, the tiger and the kitten, and you've got humankind. So Darwin said there'd be a change of kinds over many years, so could you give me one example of observable evidence of a change of kinds. So for instance, the fossil record shows the common ancestors of all carnivores, that cats and dogs were once linked, once united by a common ancestor. How long ago? Uh, this, I believe, was like 60 million years ago. The scientific method is, must be observable and repeatable, 
So could you give me one piece of observable evidence for Darwinian evolution? Okay, I would point to, as one great example is, look at the genetics of the stickleback. What's that? Uh, so stickleback fish are a very interesting collection of species that were recently isolated after the end of the Ice Age. What have they become? They're, they're various species of sticklebacks. They stayed as fish? Well, of course. Human beings are still fish. Human beings are fish? Why, yes, of course they are. Could you give me an example of Darwinian evolution, not adaptation or speciation, but a change of kinds? <laughs> These are changes of kinds. They're still fish. They're distinctly different fish. We have thousands of examples. Give me, can you give me one? I can give you, I can give you thousands, just one. For instance, I would say, uh, look at Lenski's experiments with bacteria then. So what do the bacteria become? The bacteria are still bacteria, of course. So that's not Darwinian evolution. That's not a change of kinds, is it? It, it is a change, it is a change in the genetic makeup of the bacteria, which but is still bacteria. So what do the bacteria become? Uh, a new kind of bacteria. So it's still bacteria, there's no change of kinds. To summarize, the observable evidence that you give me for Darwinian evolution is bacteria becoming bacteria. No, it is bacteria acquiring new metabolic capabilities. You said before that there, are, there is lots of evidence for evolution. I just want one observable evidence for Darwinian evolution, no, not just one. But I gave you some. You don't want... Not some, I want one. Wait, you don't want that. I want one. Yes, I do. I'm pleading no, with you. People. Said, you asked me to tell you... You asked me to tell you when I've watched one species evolve into another. Isn't that right? No, one kind into another. There's 14, is it 14 different definitions of species? So I want a change of kind. When you're talking about kinds or change in families, you're, you're actually talking about, about macroevolution. You're talking about um, uh, changes on the level of, that separate, say, cats from dogs. So could you give me any examples of Darwinian evolution? Well, when you say examples of that, then you have to sort of look at over a longer time frame. When you say change of kinds, you mean the evolution of one species from another or to another. Yes, we have that in action, actually, in the Galapagos. Could you give me one instance? Yes, we have an example from a group of birds called Darwin's finches. How much do the finches become? They become genetically new and anatomically new, recognizably different species. So they're still finches? Well, of course they're still finches, yes. They're not a change of, there's no change of kind. You're an atheist? Okay, so, so you can kind of see, thanks Dave, you can kind of see that um, some of our greatest professors, there's difficulty because it's just, it's just not so clear and, uh, and, and cut. It is from a biblical standpoint, but not from many others. But here's the thing, any college professor that thinks they might be interested in Christ will not come from somebody fighting and bantering. It'll come with, again, love. We've been loved, so we love others. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13 is just all about nothing takes place that's worthwhile and believable without love. Hey, number three, we must hurry. We must hurry. Uh, number three, nihilism. Nihilism. Say nihilism. Nihilism, yeah. It's the complete rejection of moral values and religious beliefs. In high school, this would be popular at my high school. It's like, yeah, we believe in nothing, but we're going to have fun today. Philosophically, it's the denial of the existence of any basis for knowledge or truth. Why are we here? I don't know. 
How long are you going to be here and not know? I don't know, nor do I care. I'm going to live for right now and what I can get right now. Okay? The belief that there is no meaning or purpose in existence. No meaning or purpose. Nihilism was the rejection of all forms of authority. Nihilists question what gave one figure the authority to preside over another. So government rule, no, no. Even though Romans 13 says government rule, yes, yes, <laughs> appointed by God. Um, Nihilists question what gave one figure the authority to preside over another and asked why, why there should be such a hierarchy in that place at all. They argued no one should be more important than anyone else because we are all meaningless. Uh, all as meaningless as each other. So finally, if there was no God, no heaven and hell and no real authority, nihilism argued that nothing had any meaning and there was no higher purpose and calling in life. Some people adopt this. This is what they believe. So that's their worldview. So you're like, you can see people and go, oh, they've been taught this. They've had a bunch of hard circumstances. They just want to get out of here. Just get out of this life. So that's nihilism. That's pretty quick, but nihilism. And last, again, source for this one, Arizona Christian University, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Okay, number four, moralistic, therapeutic deism. This, this came since the 2000s. And deists, those that believe that God kind of wound the world up and then became separate, they don't like this because it kind of kind of ruins some of their, uh, their triggers and their main, main points. But the new American religion, young people, this, this would be a product of college students at the turn of the century, and you'll see that. Based on a national research among the teenagers at the turn of the millennium at that time, two researchers, Smith and Denton, identified seven core beliefs that characterized the thinking and behavior of the groups. Now look at what these people, these people espouse. Look what these people believe in. When the statement comes up, you, I want you to say, is this of the Lord or not? So you'll say yes or no. When it, it comes up in pairs, so we'll do one at a time. So when it comes up, these components include belief in God who remains distant from people's lives. Bible, true or false? False, yeah, but that's what they believe. So they're kind of on their own. And they like that independence. They like that independence. Some of us are like, God, I don't want to believe in uh, uh, God. I don't want him to tell me what to do. Because truth of the matter is, some of my decisions are a little bit better in timing than his. He's got a lot to worry about. So that's, I mean, that's true. And this, this fits perfectly. How about this? People are supposed to be good to each other. True in the Bible? Yeah, so that does. And that's why 74% of people who take a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic view call themselves Christians. Call themselves Christians. Let's go on. The universal purpose of life is being happy and feeling good about oneself. The Bible says true or false? False, yes, absolutely. Our purpose is to glorify Christ and be ushered into an eternity that's going to be 50 billion times better than anything we can dream up. So, yes, absolutely. Um, let's see here. Da, 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 da. There are no absolute moral truths. False. They believe true. They believe true. So, God's word, mm -mm. 
No, no, not, not for absolute moral truth. God allows good people into heaven, true or false? Yeah, it's good if you know Jesus as Lord. Then if you do great things because the Holy Spirit's working through you, then that's the segue. That's what being a Christian is. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, and so, yeah, so good people, our righteousness are as filthy rags apart from Christ, says that in Isaiah. Uh, God places very limited demands on people, true or false? Yeah, false, false. Some of us have endured a lot. We are told we're going to suffer for a period of time. In 2021, the first ever national study of biblical and competing worldviews found that although three out of four people who embraced moral therapeutic deism consider themselves to be Christians, only one-sixth, 16%, qualify as being born again. So worldview number four, worldview number four. And, and I've got friends that, that believe this, that fall in, and they're, and they're, and they're younger than I am. But, uh, but I, do, I do see that, and we do, we do talk and, and debate at times. This is something we really don't have time for, but we'll need to start here next time. We'll need to start here. The worldview, and this is the second slide I took, second slide I took from that, uh, uh, that professor's presentation. Your worldview is so important to God that he explains how to properly form it. So seek God's truth and wisdom and look at the proof text. Deny primacy of human reasoning. God, I have to understand it. God, I have to see it with my own eyes. Deny primacy of human reason and emotion. Oh, I feel this way, so it's got to be true. Oh, I'm so angry. Deny, deny that. We've got, we've got scripture there, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 right there. Trust in the Lord. And lean not on your own understanding. Were you thinking that one? Team kid model. Yes, yes, yes. Renew your mind daily. So we'll start with this next time. Uh, We got to stop here uh, today. We'll start with this next time uh, and talk. At the bottom of your outline, at the bottom of your outline, in order to make disciples, we must develop and practice a Christian worldview. Can I see your outline here just real quick? Thank you so much. Do you see at the bottom where I'm at? In order to make disciples, we must develop and practice a biblical worldview. One of the highest forms of biblical worldview, love, comes in reproducing ourselves and others. So, so, so you're back to the chart. You know what, Don? Why couldn't you just say we want to bolster the chart and get people meeting in little discipleship pods and uh, encouraging each other? Well, because there's a lot of information we've taken in. Now, here's the thing. Look at the last thing on here. However, it's so inconvenient to meet with someone else for a period of time. Isn't it? It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. I'm not going to give up eight hours to go meet with somebody. It's so inconvenient. It's so inconvenient. And I've told myself that for years and years. Let me show you a picture. I'm not sure that this was convenient. This a while back, over 2,000 years ago, was convenient. I, 
I don't think that that was convenient. The night before in the garden, Jesus said to the Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass, please allow it to be. But then he said, not, not my will, but, but your will be done. So if we think about Think about starting to meet with somebody, somebody asking you to do discipleship. Uh, one, somebody from work today that came and said their work was asking, uh, that he was asking from people from work. It was beautiful. Just think about, that wasn't convenient. That wasn't convenient. So as we sing and as we, we, we finish uh, day one, um, <clears throat> I'll do better on time next week. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's what happens when you do your PowerPoint when you're traveling um, six hours. <laughs> got, a lot to, got a lot to cover. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, um, Jesus, thank you for sacrifice. Jesus, thank you that you were really inconvenienced <laughs> uh, to become our sin. That's what it says. You became our sin. You didn't sin. You became our sin. And so there's just a lot here. Not only are you pricking our hearts to, to, to reach out to somebody in our family, reach out to a friend or a neighbor and see if we could meet for an hour eight times in two months or eight times uh, over the course of four months. I don't know. What could we do to, to reproduce ourselves and others? It's the hardest thing in the world. And so... Um, would you make it be known? Would you prick our hearts? And Lord, today there, there are people that, that, that have learned about this secular humanism. And um, we really picked on that uh, worldview a lot today. But, but Lord, you've made it clear that, that you trump secular humanism. That you do have absolute truth in a book that was supposed to be gone out of print years ago but it's the best-selling book of all time so how do we make sense of that lord well we make sense of it because because you have put in your spirit in our heart for those of us that are born again and for those who do not have a relationship with you maybe today maybe today they invite you into their heart and so anybody who's here that doesn't have you jesus in their heart maybe they would say a prayer um, and repeat this prayer as I, as I say it to themselves. And Jesus, um, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you, you died for my sins, as your word says. And I believe uh, without a doubt that you arose, that you became alive again and arose from the grave. Uh, Jesus, come into my heart. Make me born again. Make me your child. Help me to make sense of the Bible because until come into my heart the Bible doesn't make a lot of sense so let us start there and Lord if there's anybody here that just needs to, to, to come and, and um, share anything that's on their heart that's just uh, made them disgruntled or upset help them to come forward help them to come forward in just a few moments when we get some people up here that can talk with some people Help us not to, to belabor this. Help us not to um, um, go any further unless people can deal with you right now, right here. 
And those of us who are believers who just say, I've just not been living like you've asked me to. So help, help anybody that's in that boat, which is all of us at times and, and uh, multiple times, to come forward and to just take wrongs and make them right. Just come to the altar and pray.